We are in the middle of the Advent season. Hopefully you were here early enough to catch um, what we're doing here with the Advent wreath and how we celebrate uh, Christmas. And there's all sorts of different ways to celebrate Christmas. We, we want you to know that um, the traditions you have are fine. Um, this is a tradition of the church um, that we're going to talk a little bit about today. And we never take for granted that people know about the traditions of the church. I don't understand. I, don't, I can't know how you were raised and uh, what these things mean to you and if you even know what they're supposed to mean. And so every week we want to share a little bit, not just teaching through Advent in terms of the story of Christmas, but we want to share a little bit about some of the liturgy and tradition that we are uh, talking about. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the Advent uh, wreath. Got, kind of repeating from last week, just to know Advent is from the Latin, uh, means coming. And uh, that's actually a combination of two words, coming, expectation, anticipation. There's lots of things you can use. But from a, trish, a Christian tradition, um, ever since the early times, at least, least in the um, third and fourth century, they, under, they understood the Advent celebration of the church was not just Jesus' birth, not just remembering um, what the prophecies foretold and what Jesus came to do, uh, but they're also celebrating in terms of Advent the return of Jesus. And so Advent was kind of both a two-sided coin, remembering uh, his birth and celebrating that, but also celebrating that Jesus said he was going to do what he was going to do, which was he was going to return someday. And so uh, just churches for, cent- uh, sorry, uh, for just traditions, 1,600 plus years have been kind of talking about both of these things, which we're going to talk about over the next few weeks as well. Um, again, 1,600-plus-year-old tradition celebration of the church. I want to tell you a little bit about the wreath, um, because early on there was a candle involved. It wasn't always four candles. It wasn't always five candles. It wasn't always lit on a certain day. These are just things that have evolved through the celebration. Um, the wreath itself is attributed to the, in the 1800s to this man, Johann, I love this name, Johann Henrich, or Henrik uh, Wickern. He was a Protestant pastor in Germany. All right, and he was also uh, he also led like a mission uh, orphanage, mission school uh, for those in poverty. And uh, what happened is by that point there was already somewhat of a candle, maybe a center candle or something tradition. Um, but he had the same problem that many of us have. And I don't know if about you, but how many have ever had a Advent calendar uh, that counted down the days till Christmas? Raise your hand if you had that as a kid. And it didn't need to be a Christian one. What about like, I got the Lego one. I got the Lifesaver. How many of you remember the Lifesaver one where there's a different color of Lifesavers? You got, yeah, Lifesavers, yeah, me and Blair, all right. Um, no, there, there's all sorts of different ones, but the reason, what you know, the countdown sort of Advent uh, calendar, even from a secular term, came from what he did. And so what he did was he actually took a, a cartwheel, actual wheel of a cart, turned it over on its side, uh, uh, drilled or fashioned 24 holes and put like 20 red candles in it, and then four white candles. And it said that really that was the thing he had to do to sort of keep the kids from constantly coming up to him and saying, is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? We don't understand that at all, do we? No, we don't understand that. A little four-year-old, I mean, concept of time, if it's not tomorrow, it might as well be 10 years from now, right? And so that was what he did. So he created the wreath as we know it sort of today in terms of the four highlighted Sundays, uh, in the Christmas Advent season, and then they counted down the days uh, from December. So, just to let you know, that's a little bit of where the history of the wreath uh, comes from. Last week, we lit the candle of hope. We talked a little bit about the fact that hope is not optimism. Hope is not um, uh, wishful thinking in terms of how we oftentimes use the word 
hope. When we talk about hope in terms of Scripture, in terms of how the Bible translates the word hope, it really was hope in God, hope in a person. And our hope is resting in and rooted in the idea of God's faithfulness to his people. And so the Old Testament prophecies in terms of the hope of the coming Messiah, the hope of a, of a Savior, was all driven by the, the, by the fact that he was faithful to his people. Uh, our absolute hope, as we put on the, the wall out there, our absolute hope is in Jesus, rooted in Jesus Christ, that he is going to do all the things that he said he was going to do for us and in our future. And so we ended with this scripture last week, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Again, it has nothing to do with our wishing for it or our belief in it. Our hope rests in the fact that he is going to be faithful to do what he said he would do. This week, we're lighting the candle of love. We're talking about this theme in Advent of love. And uh, we use the word love again. Talked about last week. We use love for everything. I love my wife. I love my mom. I love Christmas. I love tacos, right? Like we use the word for everything. Now, when we talk about love in terms of Advent, in terms of what we're celebrating, the main word I want you to think about is relationships. Love in the context of relationship and relationships, all right? So today, as we, and I want to, I'll go ahead and read the the verse from last week. It kind of sets us up of our story. This is from the prophecy um, that we read last week, Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And, he, and we will call him, or he will be called Emmanuel, which means, and read those four words out loud with me, God is with us. That sets us up for the understanding of, of love in terms of how love came to us through the birth of Jesus. And it's all within the context of relationships. So that's going to help us answer the question, well, what, is, what does God with us really look like? What does it mean? So today, as we continue the story, I want to talk about the people and the relationships of the Advent story, because I think this is important, why God shows, even in all those prophecies, there's a thousand different ways God could have done what he was going to do, but there is a reason that love came to us this way, in terms of God with us through the birth of Jesus. And so I want to walk us through, I've kind of highlighted some of the people in the Advent story for us to really grasp this this morning. If you want to turn to your Bible, we're going to start in Luke 1. And uh, the beginning part of Luke, Luke just tells you why he wrote the gospel in terms of he was writing this for someone that had requested uh, understanding and full wanted to hear the account of Jesus. So Luke was actually um, commissioned to go do all the interviews and figure it all out and bring back the story. And so he starts with this. Uh, this is how the story starts in terms of the story of the account of Jesus. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife, were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving in the temple, serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And I'm going to skip around to some verses just to let you know, um, uh, just kind of moving you through his story. Go to the next slide. Going to verse 11, it says, when, he was, when it was his work week to do his duties in terms of the priest going into the temple and doing the, the manner of worship that he was doing, 
It says, while he was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense, incense altar in terms of how it was spaced out in the room. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, when he saw the angel. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And then he goes on to say that you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. If you continue to read in your copy, he kind of summarized, he, he uses some of the old prophecies to help him understand John's role in the coming Messiah. John's role of what he's going to do to help prepare the way for God. But Zechariah had, you know, he's heard all of this, and I don't know if it was just his fear, but he just stood there, and his response to the angel was, yeah, but we are very old, right? My wife and I are very old. Now, if you go on to read, the angel tells him that he is Gabriel. He's Gabriel the angel. Okay, he's kind of a big deal, just to let you know, Gabriel the angel. And he doesn't respond very well. So he's, this is Zachariah. He's a, he's a priest of God. He knows all the prophecy. He knows all the scripture. He's in the middle of the temple doing the worship. Like, this shouldn't be a surprise to him when Gabriel says, God's heard you. He's going to answer your prayer. This is what it's going to look like. And yet Zachariah is like, ugh. But we're really old, right? Well, the angel doesn't take it too well. The, as a matter of fact, Gabriel says, look, I'm standing in the presence of God telling you what's going to happen. And he kind of, he basically curses him. He says, look, because you didn't fully like embrace this and believe this right away, you're not going to have a voice until all of this is fulfilled. And that's what happened. Zechariah was, was stripped of his voice and he would not have, he would not be able to speak again until later on after John is born and they're arguing about what to name him. He comes out, you know, hasn't spoken for months, comes out and goes, no, his name is John. And it goes on to say, well, it's skipping ahead, but this is where he strips his voice. He comes out of the, of the temple. Everybody knows that with his voice gone that he's had some encounter with God. And it goes on to say, but Zachariah's week was service of the temple was over. He returned home. And soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. And then she went into seclusion for five months, just kind of to herself. And one of the things that uh, Luke records is her, her response, and it's, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace. He's taken away the disgrace of not having children. How kind the Lord is to us. This is ver uh, uh, Luke's versions of, and at the same time, or around the same time, he actually says, in the six months, okay, so five months exclusion, uh, Elizabeth's responding, in the six month of her pregnancy, he kind of shift gears. He says, God sent the angel, uh, angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could have meant by that or what he meant by that. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
And he goes on to give some of the prophetic words again, kind of to Mary. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary, after hearing all of this, responds to the angel, and she asks the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Now, we have to be careful to notice that uh, Mary responds with not just a question. didn't seem like it was a question of faith at the time. It was a fairly legitimate teenager biological question. Everybody nod your head if you're with me, right? Um, how is that going to happen, right? I'm a virgin. That's not how it works from what I understand, right? Now, Gabriel, again, Gabriel talks to Zechariah. He's a priest in the temple. He uses the, the prophetic word to help him understand what's going to happen. Gabriel or, uh, Zechariah doesn't respond very well and gets kind of punished for that. Now, Gabriel takes it easy on young Mary, again, not, not a priest, young Mary who's asking a legitimate question. I don't know how that's going to work. And he goes on to explain, at least to help Mary, because all of this is getting ready to really, I believe, help Mary. He goes on to tell her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby will, that will be born, or the baby to be born, will be holy, set apart. It's just, this is different, miraculous, than what you're thinking. And he will be called the Son of God. And then to help Mary even more, he says, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, right? She's in her sixth month. And he goes on to say, for the word of God will never fail. This is the exclamation point from Gabriel, okay? I want you to know what's going to happen. Yes, it's different. Yes, it's miraculous. Yes, it's not what you imagine. Here's confirmation of the fact that even when these things shouldn't happen, they can happen. The Word of God, what's going to be said to you, will not fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Big difference, right, between how Mary responded and how Zachariah responded. A big part of that was just their faith. Not just their understanding, but their faith itself. It's a good lesson for you and me that we can be going through the motions of worship, and we can go through the motions of church, and we can go through the motions of what we're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be surprised when God shows up and says, I'm going to answer your prayer, okay? Everybody with me? Nod your head. Yeah? You're not supposed to be surprised. That's an issue of faith. And here's Mary, un- really still somewhat unsure of how this is all going to happen, other than the fact that it's holy and miraculous and different. She says, I'm your servant, God. May everything you say come true. Now, very important words. Luke is a doctor. Luke is very detailed. If you read the book of Luke, he's very detailed. He gives us details for a reason, because details matter, okay? He starts it off this way and says, a few days later. How many is a few days? Do you know? I don't know. It's a few, right? It's a few. It's not many, not many days later, not months later, a few days later. Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, into the town where Zechariah lived. And she entered into the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her. And Elizabeth was filled 
with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you among all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Now, you have to understand from the context of the story that all of this is going to really matter to Mary. This is going to be very important to Mary. But a few days later, now understand, we're we're talking about the context of pregnancy, real pregnancy, right? Six months for for Elizabeth. Very clear she's pregnant, right? She's got the the, the basketball showing, right? I know I'm pointing at me, but it's only because I look that way. Six months, you can tell, right? You can tell you that she... Mary is a few days, okay? A pregnancy test might not even catch this. A few days. But Elizabeth, who was, and the only reason we're given is that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The only reason she's able to connect the dots, the only reason that she's able to tell what's going on in Mary's life is because God, through the Holy Spirit in her, reveals it to her, and she's able to speak those words back to Mary to help Mary. Mary, you are blessed, and your child is blessed. Everybody with me? You're blessed, and your child is blessed. You're the mother of my Lord. I mean, she's connecting all the dots for Mary, and why is that important? Well, because Mary's a young girl, a virgin, engaged to be married to Joseph. Okay, She's getting ready to walk through incredible shame, She's going to dishonor her family. She doesn't know how to explain it to Joseph, right? She doesn't, like she's in all intensive purposes, according to the culture, the child is going to be a bastard child. That's the term, okay? Like she's getting ready to walk through, not only just believing what God's going to do, but she has no idea how to walk through the next course and to live this out. She really doesn't know how to explain it to Joseph, But yet God cared so much to reveal these things and let these things happen so Elizabeth could speak those words of life and confirm and affirm in Mary that all of this was true and to just hang on. When it comes to Joseph, if you want to flip over to Matthew, Matthew kind of accounts for us specifically what happened with Joseph. He says this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. We know that. Before the marriage took place, While she was a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He was a follower of the law. Okay? And he did not want to disgrace her publicly, which, by the way, according to the law and according to their traditions, he had every right to do. He had every right to disgrace her publicly and even have her stoned for what she did in terms of breaking the engagement and breaking the vow she made before God. He didn't want to do that, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. While he was still considering this, or as he was considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. We don't know this is Gabriel, but we assume. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid of what's what's happening here. Don't be afraid to, to continue forward with what you've planned and with what your families have planned. Don't be afraid to do that. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, 
and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew lets us know that, that all of this happened for a reason. All, why did the angel come to Joseph? And it said, because all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet Isaiah, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means, read it out loud again, God is with us. Never underestimate the whole sequence of this story and how important the relationships are that God so uniquely cared for every single one of those people that was going to be, they were going to be invited into the Advent story. From Zachariah to Mary to Joseph to Elizabeth, the role they were all going to play, God had care to come and to explain and to help and to show his grace and love to them and blessing to them. And then how they were going to help one another along the journey. Well, I want, to, I want to just give you three thoughts today in terms of as we light this love candles, we talk about this gift of love given to us through Advent, through the birth of Jesus. And that is the love, again, that we're talking about in terms of relationships. And that's the first thing, to see. God's love was given to us through relationships. I think sometimes when we are celebrating the deity of God and the deity of Jesus, we forget the humanity of Jesus. We oftentimes kind of just take it for granted, and we don't spend enough time really understanding that he was going to be born a baby, fully human, fully human. And he was going to need all these people, Zachariah, Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, that Jesus was going to come in through the context of these relationships, through the context of these families. But one of the, my favorite traditions that we do, and, and it's something I love, we're never going to not do it because I just, I just love it so my family has to suffer, um, is that sometime usually around Christmas Eve or somewhere right close to Christmas, uh, we'll watch the Nativity Story movie. The Nativity Story movie. How many have ever seen that? Raise your hand. Yeah? Okay. I love this movie. Now, it's a little, you know, it's a lot of artistic freedom. The guy who plays Joseph is in the new Star Wars, so it's kind of hard for me now to, like, you know, see, the, see them a little differently. But anyway, the, the, the story is about 13 years old. The movie's about 13 years old. But the reason I love it is because of this reason. Because it doesn't just tell me the story that I could factually read Luke 1 and 2 on my own. No, this story from the, from the shepherd to the angels to, the, to Mary to Joseph to the parents of Mary to Zachariah to, um, to his wife to Elizabeth, it just, I mean, just through the artistic lens of telling that story, the, the, the people in this that made this movie just dive into the relationships and the love that's in these relationships that's going to bring Jesus up. Okay, remember, we don't want to lose, in, in, in celebrating his deity, we do not want to lose the humanity. Okay, he was a baby. He, he crapped everywhere, you know, like, you know, y'all understand what I'm saying? Like, he was a baby. He had to be fed and burped and, you know, loved and held when he, you know, bruised his toe. And, like, we sometimes just do not think of Jesus this way. He needed his mom, 
right? He needed the love of his mother. He needed dad. He needed Joseph to roughhouse with them and to teach him a trade and to show him what it was like to be a man in their culture. He needed Aunt Elizabeth or Cousin Elizabeth, however you read it, and Crazy Uncle Zach, you know, Crazy Uncle Zach who lost his voice that one time. I heard this crazy story. He needed all of them. He needed all this family because he was going to be born a man. Paul says in Philippians 2 that the idea of Jesus coming was an idea of humbling himself like low to become flesh. The writer of Hebrews says that he shared in our humanity and became fully human so that one day he could accomplish for humans what we could not accomplish for ourselves and save us from our sins. The writer of Hebrews also says that we have a high priest now in Jesus who understands every temptation we've ever had. Okay? He understands what it means to be hurt. He understands what it means to cry at something. He understands. He doesn't just understand it because he made you. He understands it because he became man. There's not a feeling. There's not a thought. There's not a temptation that he doesn't understand on a human level. And he did all that because he loves you. He did all that to bring love, to be God with us. And in order to do that, he had to do it through the love of relationships. God's love had to come through relationships. Second thing, just to see, is that God's love was given in the big picture to help restore our relationship with God, to help restore our, the way we viewed and the way we understood and the way we see God. Jesus would consistently, and this is going into more into his life, But Jesus would consistently, people would ask him, well, can we see the Father? And Jesus would say, sure, it's me, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He would say it all the time. I I say what I hear the Father saying. I do what what the Father tells me to do. I'm the picture. I'm the way. (laughs) Like, I mean, he still kept the relationship imagery for our benefit, Heavenly Father and Jesus, but he kept trying to say, I'm the picture that you need to see. I'm the picture of love that God sent you so you would see the love of God through me. John, one of his disciples, he writes in John 1 a little bit of a more of a poetic, thematic, you know, kind of description of Jesus being born. But he even says the same words. He says, the word became human, right? Became flesh, the humanity part. He made his home among us, God with us. He was full of, what's the two words? Say it out loud. Unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Keep going. He says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing, one gracious blessing after another, from that love. And then he goes on to say, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the unique one. He's talking about Jesus again. Lots of poetic and thematic words that John uses. The word, you know, he's like, he, Jesus Christ, he, he was the unique one who in himself, who, who is himself God, meaning that he is the deity, is near to the Father's heart, for he has revealed God to us. That was the purpose. It wasn't that the law of God was what it was, what who God was, 
And then because he just decided to change his mind one day, he shows up with Jesus, and now he wants to be a loving God. That's not the way it is. God's unfailing love has been since the beginning of time. The the loving Father who's merciful and gracious has been since the beginning of time. Jesus just came to reveal that and to restore our relationship with this relational God. And the reason people missed it is because they were so focused on the law. They were so focused on the law. When when they have laws that God gave them, and then they have laws that that God gave them to help them not break the law, and then they created more laws to help them not break the laws that were there to help them not break the laws, right? They were so fixed and focused on the law that they missed the unfailing love of God the Father. It says that was given to them through Moses, but Jesus had to come to help them understand and see the unfailing love of God. Best example I have just around this season, maybe you've already experienced it at Thanksgiving, you'll probably experience it with friends and family at some point at Christmas, you're going to sit down to play a game. You're going to sit down to play a game around the table, there's going to be people there having a good old time, and there's going to be somebody with the little rule sheet beside them, right? Somebody with the rule sheet beside them. And every once in a while, maybe they'll show up and they'll say something like, well, no, no, you... You can't do that. You can't go through those three spots because if you roll a four, no, you, no that's just not how it works. You have to do this. You have to get the exact number in order to go into the spot and the thing because that's what the rules say. I'm not picking on you if you're the rule person, the rule sheet person, okay? Hey, the rules are needed. The rules were needed and needed for a time. But here's the point. You don't want the person so focused on the rules, they miss the family and they miss the love and they miss the friendship and they miss the relationships happening at the table, right? They don't, you don't want them to miss it because they're so fixed on the rules. And that's the picture that John gives us. Look, the law of Moses came, the law, the law of Moses came through Moses and it was necessary, but Jesus came to show us the unfailing love of God the Father so that we wouldn't miss who God is and not miss the relationship that he wants you to have with him. That's why Jesus came. That's the, that's the reason he came, to reveal God to us and to restore that relationship. Don't miss him because of the rules and the laws that you're so fixed on. The third is this. And again, this is tying in a little bit to what we're going to talk about next week, but God's love is given to us as the example of how we should love God's love was given to us through the baby, through Jesus, through this Advent story. It was given to us to be an example of how we now are to love. You heard us uh, read it this morning when we lit the candle, the Matthew passage, which is called the Great Commandment, where Jesus had kind of summarized and said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things that if you would fix your eyes on those things, which again is a relationship thing, you fix your eyes on that. All the law and all the prophets hinge on these two things. And then later on, when Jesus would give his one command, his new covenant, he would say it this way. He would say, I'm giving you the new covenant and the new command, love each other, just as I have loved you. Just as I've loved you, I want you to love each other. Yeah, sorry. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for one another, which which has been exampled for you, 
not just in how God brought love to us, but how Jesus lived that out and loved those he was with. We're going to talk more about that next week, why it was such good news of great joy as they exclaimed and proclaimed that Jesus was born. It was good news of great joy for everyone because he was going to show us and be the example of how to love one another. And I think sometimes, again, sometimes we want the world to know who we are and we want the world to know who God is based on all the rules and all the should do's and all the should don'ts. That's not a good word. I shouldn't have said that, all right? All the things we should do and all the things we shouldn't do. I think our example of God and kind of why we belong to God needs to go back to the clarity by which Jesus spoke it. Yeah, they're going to know who you are. They're going to know who I am. They're going to know who you are by the way you love one another. And it's based on the example of how I loved you. Through relationships, restoring you back to God's heart, loving you this way. So what is God with us? That's God's love. God's love is God with us. And it's all within the context of understanding what a personal relationship with Jesus looks like. Now, I'll just go ahead and share with you. I'll close with this thought just to help you understand. I've talked to many, many. This is a, goes years and years and years of talking to Christians. And there are, I'll be, there are lots of people that fill churches, that come to church, that are involved in faith, that have faith, that, that don't quite get the personal relationship part of our faith, okay? I'm not picking on any of you. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but just understand. There's a lot of people that love the benefits of Christianity. They love the, the community, and they love having faith in God, and they have a great deal of knowledge when it comes to the knowledge of maybe the Word and the rules and the laws and the, and the expectations, and they talk about God's love in such, an, in such a familiar way in terms of how Scripture states it, but if you really get down to it, they don't quite understand personally what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. So when we hear God with us, all they really can do is conceptualize a baby being born, of love coming to earth to, to save us from our sins. But it's nothing personal. It's nothing that really means and, and really digs into the relationship side, which is how we're talking about love. Now, this is a simple exercise. Again, I try to keep it fairly simple, but I've, you've probably heard me ask this before or say this before. If you visualize it this morning, if Jesus walked through the back doors and, and he walked in, and out of all the people that's in the room right now, he walked in and stood right in front of you and looked at you, okay? Number one, He's singling you out, right? Okay? So everybody, everybody, everybody's visualizing that. He walks in and out of everybody else, he comes to you and he looks at you. The questions that I would, just want you to ask yourself is, what does he look like? What's he look like when he looks at you? Is there a scowl? Is there, is there a scolding look? Is he shaking his head at you? in disappointment? Is he so thrown off by the way you live your life that 
He comes and stands in front of you, but he can't even look at you. What does he say to you? What are his words like? Does he speak in a manner that's frustrated? Frustrated that you haven't gotten your life together yet? Does he speak with a, with a tone of such disappointment and he ru- starts running down the list of all the ways you blew it just last night? Shoot, even this morning, right? Or when he looks at you, do you see him smile? Do you see care? Would he wink at you? Would he laugh with you? Would his words be compassionate? Even though you have blown it. Would his words be the unfailing love that Scripture talks about? Even though your life isn't together yet. And the reason this visualization and the reason this is so important is because I'm telling you, I'm just telling you this from my experience. The people that tend to talk about their relationship with God and and through Jesus, the people who tend to embrace this and have a real clear understanding of God's love being with us, they have made that relationship personal. When they talk about God, when they talk about their faith, it's like they're talking about their spouse. It's like they're talking about their their, uh, close friend and family member. It's like they're talking about someone who's that close to them. And then there's those who struggle. Because when they see Jesus and when they hear Jesus, they do not, even though what the Word of God says is true and clear, they do not really believe that His unfailing love applies to you and to them personally. So my challenge to you this week is don't look at the Christmas story even though it's filled with relationship, even though it's filled with love, it's filled with this this picture that God chose to use us and to come close to us and to be with us for the reason of reconciliation, for the reason to express love to you, for the reason of, of, of not only being the example of love, of how you love others, but so that you would first understand how much He loves you. Don't go through this week thinking about the love of God or celebrating the story of love without challenging yourself to, do I understand this on a personal level? Do I really see Jesus in his unfailing love and faithfulness to me? Because my prayer is that would be the case for you. That that would be when when you hear about God's love again, when you go to this Christmas season, it's not just a story. It's not just an event of God's love coming to the earth to save everyone's sins and it's just kind of this broad brush that applies to everybody else, but that it really is you because he loves you, because he came for you to express that love in a relationship with you. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for your gift of love. That through this picture of the relationships and the people that you use to to raise up you and your humanity, Jesus, that even in that, you were expressing love, giving us a picture of love.
God, thank you that your word challenges us and gives us great clarity of the unfailing love that you have brought to us. But God, I, wanna, I just want you to just through your spirit work in our hearts. Because if we don't really get that, if we don't really understand that, then we're celebrating a love we do not personally feel. God, I just pray that through this week, through this focus on love, we would all understand the personal nature of the relationship you long to have with your children. That, that through Jesus, God, you, you showed us that you are our loving Father. And that we can respond to that with, a, with an Abba Father, with a Daddy response in terms of the closeness of our relationship with you. God, I'm thankful for your word, just the way it challenges us. May this be an incredible season of Advent as we move forward over the next couple weeks just celebrating not just the gift of hope that we believe in, but the gift of love that we experience personally. It's your name, Jesus, we pray this. Amen.